dare great things for Christ. Christ calls us to dare great things. In the marketplace, as well as in the mission field, there has never been a time like the present for the spirit of the Catholic entrepreneur. Now is the time for men and women of great courage and great vision to engage our church and our culture. Now is the time to dare great things. And here is your host as we dare great things, Father Nathan Cromley, the president and founder of the St. John Institute. Most people today have an appreciation for leadership, but many people still have the question as to what the difference is between a worldly leader and a Christian leader. Of course, there's no better place to find an answer to this question than by asking Jesus himself. In his parables, Jesus reveals many keen insights into how he views leadership. In this third of our three-part series, we'll finish our exploration of the parables and the insights they give into what is a genuinely spiritual leadership. Well, I hope everybody's been enjoying this little series we've been doing here on the parables and how they give us insights into what Christian leadership is. And this is a question many people have. You know, how, what's the difference between what they're doing in the world and what we're doing here? Or why should I go to see a Catholic priest to have him teach me about leadership? Right? This is a great question. <laughs> but you know, on the other hand, I mean, where else would you go? I mean, who are, who's teaching you? Who's defining leadership for you? This is the big question. Everybody is having someone teach them or define what leadership is. And of course, the people of the world do this really well. I mean, the people not necessarily living by faith, they define leadership by their standards, saying the goal of leadership is success, right? And then you ask the question, well, how do you define success? And, and then you have multiple multitude of definitions and your leader will be one who will lead you towards that. And it just, but if we think critically about it and ask the question, well, where do they come up with that? You know, how, how do they define success? How do you define success? Practically put. And why is it that you say a leadership will lead you to success? What if fulfillment is not the same thing as success? Then what do you do? What happens to your leadership if you redefine the, the, the end goal of this whole activity? Well, you're, the, the, the nature of leadership changes depending on how you de define the goal towards which leadership is leading. I mean, it's one thing, for example, to lead someone towards, well, personal fulfillment or happiness. If you do that, well, the quotient of money or the quotient of possession will actually becomes a lot less. Like it's important, but you only need so much. And the quotient of relationship or of personal hobby or of development of the mind and of the soul becomes a lot more important, right? But if you define leadership as be having more than anyone else, or dying with the most toys. I'd just like to remind you of that bumper sticker that I saw. You know, it says, the guy who dies with the most toys still dies, right? So, <laughs> it's a bit morbid. I get it, you know. But the message comes across loud and clear. It's the, it, the guy who dies with the most toys doesn't win. He still dies. It's like there's something deeper that we need to give to this world that says, yes, we want to be successful. And yes, it's okay to have many things. It's just also not okay to have many things if it's going to cost you the most important thing, namely your soul, right? Your heart, your spirit, your identity, your character. I mean, gosh, if someone could buy you, for example, what kind of man are you? 
What kind of man allows him, himself to be bought? Right? Only a man who is superficial and cheap. I mean, to be honest with you, like, but yet we allow ourselves to be bought in many different ways. If we're honest with ourselves, each one of us, every one of us, at some point or another, we allow ourselves to say, what's really important is not important. Because everybody else says that the not important is important and I'd rather stay with the crowd than follow the truth in any kind of solitude. It's hard to follow truth. It's easy to stay with the crowd. Yeah, but my question is, is the crowd always right? And, we, and history will show you that in fact the crowd is historically wrong. <laughs> you know what I mean? Go back to, of course, the very famous story where they crucified the Son of God. <laughs> this is a great example of where the crowd really got it wrong. You know, that, not only did they crucify the Son of God, but they beheaded John the Baptist and they, they, they chopped the head off of St. Paul. They imprisoned him. They mobbed him. I mean, the crowd is often on the wrong side of history. Why would you make your parameter of how you're going to live your life be defined by how they in the crowd define it? Well, I mean, now you're looking at yourself. You're all leaders. You're all defined by your success. You all have certain, you know, uh, places of positions of authority and, and influence in our society. And I'm asking you, who's defining how you're going to use that influence? What parameters do you look to? Well, you can look to the Bible, of course, and if you do so, you'll be, you'll be stunned by the fact that the Bible is presenting a different vision of leadership than what's given in the world. I mean, the mechanics are the same. You got to develop trust with your people. You have to be able to hone your vision. You have to be able to say no to things. You have to be able to dedicate yourself with great grit, you know, to the cause. You've got to be willing to sacrifice. All those types of things. Those are all wonderful. And those are, the mechanics are the same. A great leader in, in the army of the earth ought to be a great leader in the militant church and a great football coach or a great, you know, sport person or whoever's leader leading in a worldly way ought to be really good also when it comes to bringing that same drive to spiritual matters. It, there, there's an overlap between the soldier, the business person, the athlete, and the priest. Those four are all driven by the same spirit. And it's a spirit that says that I have to bring what's inside of me to bear its influence outside of me, which is why those four categories are the categories where we most look to for influence when it comes to leadership. But the question is, which of those four is the most profound and the, the truest when it comes to leadership? Well, I mean, I'm going to make a little claim here. And of course, I'm a little biased because I am a priest, but I'm just going to say that the spiritual has the primacy because the spiritual leader doesn't negate anything that's true in all those other forms of leadership, military leadership, business leadership. It's just that we infuse each of those realms with a deeper purpose, saying lead in business, lead in the military, lead in athletics, lead in the arts, lead in politics, absolutely, and use all that science that's there, but don't miss the point by your leadership of why you're there and the true goal behind them all. If my goal as an artist is just to put things in parks, right? I mean, you could have a more elevated, you know, role and vision of your art. And well, what's gonna allow you to give the best of the arts to the world? It's if you infuse that artistic leadership and influence with a genuinely spiritual sense, right? The same thing if they take the military. We take, in other words, the end goals of every profession and the spiritual one says that end goal is worthy of being achieved 
for the sake of an ultimate goal. And we connect. It's a both-and proposition. I know you're here because you're successful in business. And I admire that and I esteem that. I'm not here to say that your business leadership isn't important. I'm here to say it is important. It's so important because it can serve not only the needs of this world, but also the preparation of a genuine humanity, a true heart capable of transforming a culture by opening it to the most ultimate and deepest realities and giving us a pathway to genuine happiness. In other words, how can we get our people to not just come to work at a job, but to work at a job because they realize the dignity and the vocation behind their work? Well, that to do that, I've got to exert a different level of leadership. I've got to exert a leadership that's spiritual. And of course, being Christians, you're all looking for that pathway. And I'm here to say, what does our Lord teach us about spiritual leadership? He teaches us many different things. And what you're going to learn is going to really surprise you because in the parables, our Lord you know, produces paradoxes for us. The parables are paradoxical. That's why they're so amazing. He kind of takes the world and he stands it on its head. And I love this. I love how the Lord does this because he keeps us awake. And he, he makes us realize that it's not a, a either or, it's a both and, but in an order, a new way of looking at things that's really unique and refreshing for what the world's got to give. I can't wait to plunge into them with you. Would you like to hear more from Father Nathan? Join the St. John Leadership Network and receive a two-minute glance at the gospel every Sunday morning right to your phone. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, so for the past few days, we've been looking at the parables together. We've, we've looked at what Jesus presents in terms of leadership in parables. Then we went on to look at his warnings that he gives Basically, don't be greedy, right? That's the, that's the essential message that he gives, which is profound because that greed is not just about money, but about everything that we can use for the sake of something else. He really is challenging us. Don't stop at what is purely material. Acquire the material for the sake of something greater. And that means you need to develop your spirituality. I can't emphasize this enough. I don't know how we can pretend to be followers of Christ if we don't talk to him, <laughs> okay? Just be blunt. Little, you know, prayer is not an option for a Christian leader, everybody. So if you're really struggling with your family, which most of you are, or if you're really struggling with your leadership and business or with a sense of your life, you're getting older and you're saying to yourself, gosh, what did I do all this for? Well, fall on your knees. I mean, Jesus is close to you. And that very desire that you have, that restlessness in your heart, that's him knocking at the door of your heart. But you can't find God or live for God if you don't talk to him, okay? It reminds me of this time I was fishing with this fella, and, in, and there I was, I was talking away, and you know, and, and he said, you know something, Father? I said, what's that? He goes, you won't catch any fish if your line isn't in the water, <laughs> <laughs> and I realized he was true, right? Well, in the same way, you're not going to be able to develop yourself in these beautiful ways if you don't develop yourself with God, right? So that spirituality and prayer, guys, it's as easy as opening your heart right now to the Lord and starting to say the Our Father. He taught us how to pray. Don't tell me you don't know how to pray. Start to say the Our Father, and he will do the rest. And when you become spiritual, well, the very first thing that you do is your leadership becomes transformed. 
Let's take a look together at the very first parable. Okay, so Luke chapter 15 actually has three parables in a row. There's the parable of the lost coin. There's the parable of the lost sheep. And then there's the parable of the prodigal son. So this is like, if you want to look at parables, this is one of the best chapters in the Bible. And all three of them have something in common. And that is that the leader in all three of them, be it the woman who's looking for her lost coin, the shepherd who's looking for his lost sheep, and the father who's looking for his prodigal son, all three of them, strangely enough, put their emphasis and their focus on one small thing when they have many other things that they could, they could be focused in on. It's almost like the thing that they lost is the most precious to them. Or the thing that's wandered away is the one thing that they want. But in the parable of the lost coin, for example, a woman has an entire house and she's looking for one small coin. And so she moves all the furniture and she sweeps all the floors of the house, looking, spending the whole day looking for this coin. Now, of course, we are in business. We're kind of shaking our heads going like, man, you're wasting dollars to save pennies, lady. Like you could have been more productive with your time. Why are you looking for that one lost coin? The shepherd is even a greater example. He has 99 sheep and he leaves the 99 behind in order to go find the one. Now, again, if this was your shepherd, right, and you were employing this person, how would you feel about that? It's like, well, boss, I, I let the thieves basically go after the building. Uh, they could take everything that was in there, but I found the remote control, you know. I went out because I was sure that remote control was in the car. Like, you know, you just don't do that. You, you make analysis and you say, well, I stay with where the most value is as the world counts the value. This is, it's just like in the prodigal son. His son has gone away, but his son was a jerk to him. I mean, honestly, he's got two sons and the one son comes to him and says, Father, give me my inheritance. Meaning like you're dead to me already. I just want the money that you're going to give me. And the dad does. He's like, here's your inheritance. And he gives it to him. The kid goes off and totally squanders it. He takes his father's patrimony, everything his father's worked for his whole life to give to him as a gift from a father to his son. And he throws it away on loose women and on drinking and on doing all these kinds of terrible things. And he finds himself, of course, you know, lost in a far distant land. But the father, heck, he's got another son who's super dedicated to him. He's got a farm. He's still alive and he's still making money. I mean, you would think he'd be able to say, well, you know what? That guy's just far away. Just like you think the shepherd would be able to say, I lost one sheep. Or the lady would be able to say, I lost a little coin. And yet in the parables, as Jesus tells them, none of those three is willing to forsake the little one, the lost one, the one that got away, saying that they have enough with everything else that's besides. So of course, this is not to be applied directly in your business. <laughs> this is a great way to go out of business, okay? Like, you know, but it's, I'm not talking just about business here. I'm talking about business leadership. And I'm talking about leadership in general. And here there's a real principle that our Lord is giving us. He's like, do not lose the sight of the forest for the trees. Okay, the point of your leadership is not to have a whole bunch of stuff. Or it's not, the point of your leadership is not to act like everyone who's been entrusted to you is, is not important. He's saying that leadership is all about people. Right? It's about the end goal. We know that. But the end goal is for the sake of the ones who achieve it. Right? So like there's, and I get it, like, you know, there's, there's lines and there's, there's delineations in businesses, of course, like, and there's, and there's different perspectives, but you're intelligent. You can apply this properly, 
Our Lord is, what he's saying though is to have your eyes on the spiritual prize. To keep yourself focused on the real goal here of what we're trying to do. It's like if you're a parent, well the real goal is the quality of the character inside of your kids. It's not whether or not they act happy. It's whether or not they are happy. There's a big difference between there. You know, kids are, need to be taught what is truth about how they should live. They need to be taught about what is true happiness. You know, your spouse in the same way. It's not whether or not the two of you are getting along. It's whether the two of you are getting to heaven. You see, it's a different perspective. And it doesn't mean that, that they don't go hand in hand. It just means that we have to be alert to the real end goal so that we can really achieve it and not allow ourselves just to be satisfied with the small things like, well, I mean, I'm, I'm successful on the earth. My kids are all, you know, great schools. My, my spouse says she loves me. You know, it's like, yeah, but there's more to life than that. In the same way, you could be like, well, I'm just a dad. I got all these other things going on. Yeah, but you're missing the big picture. Your kids aren't praying. Your wife isn't praying. You aren't praying. Your home is mediocre, but like no one even knows because it's good enough. Right? And this is, that attitude is the very first thing that our Lord rocks. When you see a parable of a woman moving all the furniture and sweeping all the floors looking for a lost coin, he's trying to tell you something. And when you see a, a shepherd leaving 99 sheep behind to find the one, he's trying to tell you something. He's trying to say the most important thing is always the most important. Keep the most important thing the most important. That's the first key to spiritual leadership. And that most important thing well, of course, for us, it's our relationship with God. It's our relationship with the King of Kings. It's our prayer life. It's our sense of heaven. It's like, okay, keep that the most important. And then you got to make all kinds of practical decisions. But you, if you seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, all the rest will be given to you besides. And in any case, it's what differentiates our leadership from a worldly leadership, right? We're not here just to say it's good enough. We're here to say we've achieved the mission that we've been sent to accomplish. And we've brought a light into this world and a goodness into this world that otherwise wouldn't have been here because it's not from this world, it's from God. Would you like to start your Thursday mornings with a scriptural leadership lesson? Join the St. John Leadership Network where Father Nathan hosts a 30-minute call at 6.30 a.m. in all four U.S. time zones. To learn more, go to www.stjohnleadershipnetwork.org slash member and join for free today. All right, so the very first lessons that we see here in the parables is that Jesus is saying a spiritual leadership is spiritual. <laughs> I mean, it kind of sounds obvious, but, but that's because it is. I mean, he's saying, like, look, you're not living as everyone else in the world lives. Therefore, you should not lead for the same goal that everyone else in the world leads. It's not a denial of the fact that we have to have hire people, fire people, preserve the common good, you know, maximize our profit margins, all those things. It's just that we need to let those decisions be guided by a deeper perspective. And that deeper perspective will shape a genuinely human culture, something that's authentically good for everyone who lives there. The genuine human culture is guaranteed by the sense of God, the one who made the human person and says, this is why we're here. Lead your people towards what is authentically good. That's, that's a whole, it's a whole challenge right there, but it's, it's a good one. And it's the one that makes us different.
And I think this is really typified in the parable of the, the banquet, which is found in Luke 14. Let's go ahead and read it together. It says, when he noticed how the guests picked the places of honor at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then humiliated, you will have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place. Then you will be honored in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, when you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives, or your rich neighbors. If you do, they may invite you back and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. All right, this is a real challenge for us. I mean, let's be honest with you. I don't know many people who throw banquets and then invite the poor, the lame, the crippled, and the blind, and everyone who cannot repay them. That's just not usually what you do. You usually invite to a banquet people that you want to celebrate with, right? You want to share a moment with, which means there's trust, there's camaraderie, and that usually means that there's equality, right? It doesn't make a lot of sense what Jesus is saying here, but he says it directly to the host. When you throw a banquet, do this. And he says, the reason why is because you'll be blessed, and you'll be repaid for doing this at the resurrection of the righteous. Now, I just have to chuckle here a little bit because as a priest, I walk around telling people this all the time. Why should I pray? Why should I, you know, obey the church's teaching about sexual morality? Why should I tithe? You know, and I say, you'll be blessed and you'll be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. And it just doesn't seem to <laughs> capture many fish. You know, most people, honestly, are, are just intent on this world. And it goes back to what we said a little bit earlier. The very first way to lead spiritually is to become spiritual yourself. What is your end goal? Because I like to say, if your end goal isn't the resurrection of the righteous, if it's not heaven, well then I really don't think you, you know, you're, you're doing things right. Because in a sense, you're living a fo in, in folly. You're saying that the things that are going to pass away is what I'm living for, and then I'm going to pass away. If, I, if that's the truth, well, then my friend, you know, your life doesn't have any meaning because if it's, everything's going to pass, including you, well, then why would you take it to begin with? And we say, well, for the sake of pleasure. And I'm like, well, there's deeper things in life than pleasure. You know, your level of happiness, if you're living for pleasure, guys, your, your level of happiness is very superficial. There is more. There is deeper. That deeper and that more comes when you realize the true good something that doesn't pass away, something that will last after death. And when you say to yourself, I too will last after death to enjoy that good, which itself is greater than death. Now all of a sudden you got a life. I mean, let's just be blunt about this. You're sitting walking around going, I'm living for pleasure. I'm living for my possessions. And I'm saying you're living for a pithy thing, which means your life itself, it lacks substance. There's a deeper message here. The Christian faith teaches us that death is not final. You live after death and that you're not made for just anything on this earth that passes away. You're made for what is eternal, what is infinite, what is deeper than the ocean and taller than the mountains. You're made for a love that is God himself and you can enjoy that for all eternity.
I mean, you know, when we talk about heaven, I, I just, sometimes as a priest, you know, I kind of feel like we get pushed around by people. You know, I looked about that song by John Lennon. Remember Imagine by John Lennon? And he's like, imagine there's no heaven, you know. Imagine we're all just living on this earth. And atheist people all the time will sit there and make fun of our, our vision of heaven. But you know what? I, I really don't care because in the end, I don't hear a better option coming from them. I don't see anyone with a more profound vision of what the human person is made for than someone who says that death is not final and that in fact, we will rise again in our flesh to live eternally in, in the front of an eternal infinite good. I mean, I'm going to follow that all day long. You can go ahead and follow your philosophy if you want right into the grave and your vision for this life will be as superficial as is that philosophy. Or it can be as deep and as substantial as is the vision of the Christian faith. And as joyful, by the way, and as positive and optimistic as it is. I'll tell you, between the two, you, ask, you tell me, which vision is going to give you a deeper sense of leadership? Who is going to be a more powerful leader in the face of this world? Except someone who says that this world was made to be fulfilled in the next. And when we have that type of vision, my goodness, then all of a sudden, you're open to the poor. I was reading a book the other day by uh, Pope Benedict, and, and he quotes some of the early Christian fathers who said that the sign of paganism was insensitivity. Isn't that amazing? I just love that kind of thinking when it says something so surprising. That the sign of paganism is insensitivity. A culture that is no longer Christian will be marked by insensitivity to other people. And, I, and I'm looking at this and I'm looking at our Lord saying exactly that. In the Christian worldview, he's looking at us and saying, you who are leaders are leaders in order to help those who cannot otherwise be helped. Look at this, the call for sensitivity, the, for compassion, for understanding. And, it, and if you take that away, what are you going to be left with? Well, a bunch of people who give rewards to their friends, who invite people that can repay them, right? And the Lord's like, no, I want you to invite people who can't repay you. I'm asking you to lead from a spiritual perspective that says, I am here as a servant with my greatness and my gifts to lift up everyone else by my leadership. And that means I've got to constantly enter the grind and develop myself, but with a deeper purpose, which is not myself, which is the Lord and then the people he's given me. I think our world's in desperate need for this vision. I don't think that Christian leadership is an option. I think Christian leadership is a gift, and it's the call that we've been given to give, a spiritual vision that sets a fire to the world. Dare great things for Christ. Share your feedback with Father Nathan. Send us an email at communications at stjohninstitute.org. That's communications at stjohninstitute.org. And visit www.stjohninstitute.org and sign up for our newsletter to receive updates from Father Nathan.